were close to the breaking point and we've got two months of cash and we had this weird conversation and the topic of the dinner was how do we stop? I'm Guy Gillen, one of the co-founders and managing partners at Tenzing. We're a private equity firm and we're passionate about the human stories in business. In this series, I'm getting under the skin of some of the UK and tech world's most senior founders, entrepreneurs and CEOs. Today, I'm talking to Pierre de Buc, CEO and co-founder of one of the world's most exciting online education platforms, Open Classrooms. Pierre's 20-year journey as an entrepreneur is fascinating, not least because he's only 31, having started out as an education pioneer and innovator at the tender age of 11. And I'm thrilled to be able to share his incredible story with you. Enjoy. I'm just going to set the scene because people listening will pick up that we're not actually in the same place. So I'm sitting at home in the study, southwest London, near Wimbledon, famed for tennis, strawberries uh, and cream, but it's certainly not a strawberries and cream kind of day to day. So it's howling winds and rain, but it looks like you're in a very comfortable environment. It could be a trendy office or is that home? <laughs> it's home. I'm in Paris, France. I live in the northeast of Paris in a, in a comfy apartment. Yeah, it looks great. So Pierre... You started Open Classrooms in 2013. It's now a $60 million Series B funded company. You're aiming to get a million people educated and a million people in work by 2025. Pretty impressive. But perhaps what's even more amazing is that the genesis of the company began long before 2013 when you were still at school. <laughs> Take me back to where it all first started. Yeah, I actually started a personal project back in 1999 that was actually the basis of um, this company. So in 1999, we were super young. We were in middle school, age of 11 and 13, with my co-founder, Mathieu. And we started to create online courses. The very first course we created was on web development to help some friends to build their own websites. And we published this course online. And then we kept going with this online learning community to create courses and publish them for free um, in kind of an altruistic way. And we did so for over 10 years. It became the reference platform to learn coding in French speaking countries. So pretty much every developer, software engineer learned through open classrooms. And we turned this big hobby of ours <laughs> into, into a business, into a fast growing company, into a more entrepreneurial journey in 2013 when we created Open Classrooms. And now we're on this mission to make education accessible, but especially professional education. So education leading to jobs, leading to competencies. So we basically train on tomorrow's competencies and tomorrow's jobs like tech and digital skills, for example. Wow, that's a, an amazing amount in a short period of time. When I was 11, I, I was trying to think about what I was doing, but it was not that productive. <laughs> <laughs> Don't imagine that we were like running a business at 13 or 15. I think it'd be the equivalent of running kind of a YouTube channel or an Instagram account <laughs> now today. Okay. And yes, we had that big hobby, but it became bigger and bigger. And we spent, you know, time at home to build the website. So I was actually kind of the developer of the platform. Uh, I was coding yeah. the platform and my friend Mathieu wrote the content, the courses 
themselves. Tell me about Mathieu. What are his super strengths? He's like the best teacher. So uh, he's got kind of a gift around teaching and pedagogy. So he wrote the very first course. And since then, all of the courses he designed are the most popular ones on Open Classrooms. It's just extremely great at writing and teaching. And he built the pedagogy, basically. And the way, the tone, the content, the, the structure, all of this is kind of uh, intuitively really good um, and recognized widely. You know, people say, I like the other teachers' courses, but Matthew's one is always slightly above. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we're actually very different in terms of personalities. And that's why also we're so complementary to one another. And it worked out really well, the two of us, for, for many years. It's because I think we don't overlap a lot, but we also have common values, obviously. Um, but in yeah. terms of walk and traits, we can do something really different. You see, he's almost like the artist and you're the, <laughs> you're the sort of commercial engine. The way we phrase it is we say, he can like innovate and build the new stuff and I can yeah. take it and make it grow and scale. I just want to take you back to something you said. You described it as a hobby. Was there a goal? Yeah, more, more the latter, I'd say. It was more to help people and to build something and have fun. Um, and then we added layers and layers. And at some point after a couple of years, we started to realize that it was actually, it was big already. And then from there, we thought maybe, well, well, the first question during the college studies was, you know, what are we going to do at the end of our studies with this thing? Because <laughs> we're spending a lot of our time to work on, on this it's huge taking project. taking over your life. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Yeah. And, 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 you know, it, it was time consuming. We already had tens of thousands of years every year of spending to host the website and we had you know ads on the website so we can pay the bills but it was yeah. all of a struggle you know to to make sure it was sustainable and uh, we knew that we couldn't go this way if we had kind of a normal job so we thought yeah. okay maybe we need to create something it sounds like it was a very conscious decisions like let's go full in and this will be our career and was that a seminal moment actually i remember when i was 17 and Matthew is just a bit older he's like three years older than i am so um when i was 17 uh, we started to really talk about should we stop the whole thing? Should we create a non-profit? Should we create a company? Okay. And in, there was a conscious choice to build a company, throw everything in there, and at least have kind of this legal framework. And we waited for me to turn 18 so we can create the company together. <laughs> I love and, that. And then from there, that was fun. But, um, you know, we, 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 we both remember actually when we built the first business plan, uh, everything for us, we were, you know, the generation raised on Google and we're like, yeah. how to create a business and you just Google it, you know, how do I create yeah, a business? Yeah. And then we're like, ah, you need to create a business plan. And like, we have no idea what a business plan is. So what is a business plan? Yeah. And Google you know, keeps feeding us. And, yeah, yeah. and we started to build a business plan. And um, this business plan, like the, the end goal 
was to build a company that generated a, a revenue of a hundred thousand euros a year. Uh, right, okay. and, and we're like, yeah. if we ever reach a hundred k, yeah, I think we're. we're happy. Yeah, I think this yeah. is this is the end of our lives, <laughs> basically. Yeah, yeah. We pay the bills. We go on holiday. Exactly. Yeah. For for us, you know, we were teenagers, and we thought with that much money, I mean, you're like, yeah, you're done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think when I was eighteen, I was waiting for uh, to be eighteen so I could stop using fake ID. <laughs> exactly. And uh, you waited. You waited to incorporate In, a business. It's so, yeah, we're different paths. You had a lot of hosting costs. That was your main. You were working yeah. for free. The main cost was effectively hosting, and you were basically getting that on old school banner advertising. That was kind of effective. pretty much. So, and the goal is hundred thousand. So you probably reached that quite quickly. I don't know. Imagine with that much traffic, and then you brought in an investor, didn't you? Quite early on. So I think first year we made seventy five thousand euros in revenue, and we're like, oh, it's, 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 it's tempting. Yeah, nearly. It's, good. it's good start, let's say. But we yeah. were still students, you know. So yeah, it was, it was yeah. already a lot of Wealthy money. Students. Yeah, a lot of money for for students. Obviously, it was not profit. It was you know, uh, it was revenue. But still, we thought this is this is good. Uh, so we kept yeah. going, and towards the end of our studies, we decided, okay, maybe we should, you know, go full time, and uh, try to bring that to the next level. At this stage, we thought, okay, maybe we can be more, much more intentional. We can build a startup company. We can raise money, we can build a business model around education and not ads, because it was around also at the same time, you know, the ad market really changed with Google and Facebook. Revenue was decreasing and we're like, you know, banners kept being bigger and we're like, we, we, we yeah. hated advertising actually um, as users. So we thought this is us, like we, we don't want ads actually on, on the websites. All of that combined led us to switch gears and and raise the first round and build open classrooms the way it is today. How did that work out for you? Less than a year later, we came back to them and said, so <laughs> we will change the brand, change the business model, change the team, change yeah. pretty much everything. Are you fine with it? And they were like, um, I guess if you think it's smart, let's yeah, well, let's do it. Have a lot of choice. And then you go to the investor. What we told you, kind of nine months ago, forget it. So how did you manage that? How's the kind of dynamics around that? I think actually the investor um, supported us really well and trusted us, and uh, it was all in basically. You know, he challenged yeah. us on the plan, but at the end, very quickly said, you know, if you guys want to do it and think it's the right move, then let's do it. And um, he supported us. Then we went through this transition. It was really, really tough. And uh, we had up and downs, but actually, you know, after maybe one year, actually, we started to literally Pull the plug on better ads every month and you're trying to launch the new one and it's like you know it's gonna fall but you don't really know if the new one yeah. will pick up so it's quite yeah, stressful yeah. but um we actually managed to make the transition so to kill advertising and to grow the new business line and we focused on and did the, the, those everyone make the journey? It's quite a massive amount of change. Yeah. Like some people are 
better and you know how, uh, it how's was that? really tough <laughs> i can tell you that it was really tough honestly we challenged most of the team that's a quick way to grow up as a leader and as a manager what were your biggest lessons do you think I think our biggest struggle was with, you know, HR and people. Yeah. Um, and what we learned is to be extremely explicit and intentional. Just is to express really precisely in writing what you want to do, the way you want to do it, what you don't want to become, what you want to become etc etc uh, so this is also when we really started working hard on the definition of our mission of our vision of the way we want to work mm. uh, the type of business models we want to work on um, the type of people we wanted to work with and then you know some people like it and join the band but, but then some some other people might might think uh, they want to do something else and it's fine Let's talk about the vision and how you managed to hang on to your values as you went in a new direction. Can you give me some examples of culture that you were explicit about? Yeah, so I think years later, we defined it in a really precise way. We define uh, the mission is to make education accessible. The vision is to make professional education accessible. And we define four principles. It's we care, we dare, we persist, mm -hmm. and we tell it as it is. And there is a whole like set of behaviors yeah. behind this, you know. So it's both internal and external. For example, we care is about you know the behaviors you want to have in the team, you know, respectful, trustworthy relationships between uh, across team members. But it's also externally. We care about our students, and that's why we build you know mentorship and coaching. We we care about, about the business, about the project as a world. So it's about accountability, about responsibility. So it's both ways, you know, internally and externally. And we actually pair them together. So we say we care, but we tell it as it is. Yeah. You can be nice to one another, but at, at the end of the day, like if you gotta say something and if there are frictions or conflicts, you need to address them. Yeah. And we pair also, we dare and we persist. Because we yeah. think at first you're gonna fail, uh, uh, nice, and yeah. you, you need yeah. you need to keep pushing to, to make sure it's gonna work out. And I think yeah, the, the the persistence and you know the fact that we didn't stop, yeah, <laughs> we didn't um, just drop out basically from from the project. I think that that was really key to our success. A lot of the founders I meet start with an instinctive you know opportunity or thought process. And then struggle to then be more precise about it as it becomes bigger. So you guys were obviously instinctive. It was a hobby. It was just something you enjoyed. But this pivot to a very specific mission-driven business, but also you were being a pioneer in that as well. So how much was instinct and research and, and you know precision involved in when you set that new business plan up? It's a good question. And we realized that we kept, using traditional business frameworks uh, and we learn uh, business and management through very traditional frameworks like traditional books, traditional ways of running a business and or 
dreams of what a company should like because we had no idea because we we haven't walked in yeah. a company yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so basically it was it was kind of uh if i exaggerate a bit it was um the posture of a manager that you've seen in a movie and at some point like we thought this is this is this is nuts. This is fake. This is not what we want to be. And we felt uncomfortable and we thought we need to, we need to operate differently. Um, and this is really when we started to create truly the company we wanted to create a mission driven company because we thought the end goal for us is not to generate profits is really to have a social impact. And of course you need to generate profits to grow and be sustainable, but this is not, this is just a mean, it's not, it's not the end goal. Yeah. yeah. So we started to say that out loud, to write it down, to define the mission, to be much more intentional also about the way we wanted to operate and manage the teams, the people, the processes and whatnot. And that helped really a lot. So now we feel much better the way we operate because this is truly like the way we want to operate and the way we want to build the business. And it was not something that, you know, somebody else told us. In terms of like vision and core beliefs, you've been together, what, almost kind of, well, you've 20 years, known each yeah. other 20 years, worked closely <laughs> together for probably 15 or... It's really rare skill for co-founders to stay as connected for such a long period of time. So what, what binds you closest together, do you think? We have actually routines, so yeah. we can keep the, the relationship healthy. For example, every six months, for many years, we spend a three-day weekend together, just the two of us. And it's very structured now. Um, oh, and well. we're yeah. going to talk about us about our personal lives or families, about the business, of course, the strategy, if we feel good in our jobs, what we want to do in the next six months, 12 months. Uh, we're going to talk about also more like tactics and like, are we doing yeah. well, not well? What are we doing that we should stop doing? What are we not doing that we should start doing? And many things like this and we usually end up with kind of a um, an action plan to change a few things and work on a few things and and it's really a way for us to stay aligned um and very aligned uh, both at the personal level but also business level i i think it was very critical to building a long-standing healthy relationship had a 20-year journey with so many highs but can you tell me about some of the worst moments i think the switch to open classrooms the, the launch of open classrooms and the transition was really tough in terms of mostly transitioning the team and convincing people it's the right thing and some people were upset and we, we had you know part, to part ways with some of them and it was really difficult and uh, we had also times where we didn't have any cash anymore. Uh, and we started mm -hmm. to literally transfer our savings and the savings of our families wow. <laughs> onto the company's bank accounts. And, and, uh, and, you know, it was, it was really tough. 
And more recently, we had less than a year ago, like a year ago, uh, we had a tougher moment where we missed a few targets and we kept growing. And then you don't have the revenue you want, but you have the increasing spending. And then, you, you know, this is um, a really uncomfortable moment and uh, you need to take to take some serious actions, but uh, it's it's a bit painful. So yeah. it was a lot of pressure and uh, and work at this time, but uh, we kind of turned it around and, and at the end it, 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 it worked out. But uh, when you are in the middle of the shit storm, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's always really hard. And um, it sometimes it's longer, sometimes it's shorter. But now that we experienced this, so many times uh, we know it's 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 a cycle basically you have highs and you have lows when you are in a low you need to keep going because at some point it's gonna get back to a high um and you know it's raining uh right now it's been raining for days and days and days but one day <laughs> you'll see the sun <laughs> hopefully when you experience that so many times even it when it's really freaking hard, deep down, you know that it's just a phase. Yeah. Did you ever think of giving up? Yeah, uh, quite a few times when we didn't have enough cash anymore. Clearly, we were close to the breaking point and we thought, okay, this is like the last go because we've got two months of cash and if we don't put it off, then it's going to be really hard. Another day also, we were really exhausted and, and tired of all the problems and issues we had to deal with every day. And I remember we had this weird conversation. We had dinner together and uh, the, the topic of the dinner was, how do we stop? <laughs> and the conclusion was, okay, we, we're just stopping the business. It's sad, but we need to stop and pull the plug and just, you know, terminate yeah, everything. Right. Go live a normal life, yeah. We felt really bad ourselves and we were walking like dogs and we didn't see, we didn't have any pleasure in that and and, uh, and we didn't see any light at the end of the tunnels. And then for some reasons I cannot even explain, the next day we came back and we said, okay, so how do, how do we start stopping? <laughs> yeah. Um, and we kept discussing and the conversation kind of started to turn around towards like, how can we solve this? And then yeah. in the next weeks, we started to... In interesting. I wonder if um, just the decision to stop released the pressure that you were putting on yourself. Exactly. Which then gave you the freedom to find yeah. a way through. I think you're right. So is it that kind of like pressure, which is often like self-induced? How do you manage that? <laughs> Do you consciously like look after your mental health and things like that? Or? Yeah, and same like more and more I'm more I'm more intentional about this. Like, you know, when we went through um the situation I just explained, I think we're not like mature enough when it came to uh, managing yeah. the level of stress and mental health and all of this. And and, and now I think we are, so now you know I, I know I need to go like climbing and I know I need, you know, to take time for myself. You need also a good support system around you, you know, friends, families, your partner, your um, whoever um, it, it is, it, it's really important to build this support system because I don't think you can go through such, you know, 
lows uh, without people around you. And then, yeah, it's in, and then it's really releasing the pressure, blow steams off, steam off and, and finding the things and the places and the activities that will help you do so. Uh, seeking coaching, mentorship and mental health support um, is helpful. And I think it makes you a better person, happier, but, and, and then a better leader. I think there are a couple of phases. Like the first one is when you go from 10, 15 people to 20, 30 people, because you start having middle managers. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. this is actually, a, I think, a key moment in the history of the company, because some people start to not be in direct touch with founders. You start having management issues and communication issues, and you, you start you need to be more structured about the way you communicate to your teams. We had also an interesting moment is when like you're probably around like a hundred, 150. And this is when you start to have newcomers and, and employees and you don't really know them, to be you honest. Because, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, you can remember like a hundred ish, but overall at some point, like you cannot uh, no, yeah, there's a there's a selling, so it's a bit weird because you see people and you don't you don't really know, but they know you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You look at like hundreds of years of military history, and exactly you, know, you get yeah. to those levels, and the company is like sixty people, and there's a reason it's called a company. And then, yeah. as you say, it's a whole regiment when you get up, and there's yeah hundreds of years of kind of human behavior. Exactly. Says that eventually you have to let go. When you go to the next level your own job changes dramatically and the skills required to do well are totally different. So at first you need to, you know, do your magic and like code and sell and, and do, do it yourself and be really good at it. And then you need to start managing. Then you need to start managing managers, which is totally different. Then you need to start to convey messages basically to yeah. tell and repeat what we need to do, the strategy and, and the, to design the organization, to design the strategy and communicate, 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 communicate. So we say internally, if people don't say that they're so bored by us repeating the same stuff over and over and over, then until this point, it's not enough and we're gonna do it again. People need to be yeah. fed up by us talking about the mission, talking about the principles, yeah. talking about the strategy, because we realize that if you're not at that level, it's not enough. So investors, I see a lot of founders really struggle because it's so far <laughs> removed from the instinct that it becomes a huge kind of emotional blocker to kind of developing the company. Apart from money, which obviously <laughs> most investors bring, and obviously that allows you to really kind of yeah obviously invest in the business and take it much further towards the kind of mission driven goals what else do you get from investors that you value support challenging your views challenging your strategy being a sounding board basically contacts and intros we had actually investors who helped tremendously on uh you know commercial intros uh doing business in b2b connections to experts or suppliers, but also recruiting talent. And then 
yeah, money is nice too. Yeah. <laughs> it's useful. <laughs> but also the last thing I'd, I'd like to add is uh, benchmarks. Things like, you know, we've seen 15 companies in your case, and this is the way most of them did it and uh, they were successful. But uh, in, in those three cases, it was a big failure. So, you know, just wanted to bring that to the table. Yeah. <laughs> is there anything that you could want from investors that you've never seen available from them? Is there, you know, is there something you think actually, wow, if we could get that, that would make a lot of I think most investors will tell you that they will bring a lot of value to the strategy and they will help you with talent and commercial introductions. And most of them are not helping at all with intros yeah. and talents. It's like once a year, they, they give you an email address. It's like, yeah. this is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's not an uh, yeah. And most of them will not be helpful with the strategy, but even the pain and, you know, ask the wrong questions and you're going to spend a lot of amount of time just to explain them. Um, yeah. yeah, but um, but it's, it's useless to you. Uh, it's a waste of your time. So you need to really find the right fit, meaning the right people you want to do business with for many, many years because you respect them and they understand your business and you know they're going to generate value and not be a pain. And I'd say I wish I would see more investors being aggressive but not in a bad way more like okay let's do it and let's grow this business fast yeah but at the same time think about impact think about you know the social good think about the mission because we feel like uh, many impact investment funds are more like this is almost a charity basically yeah, pa pa <laughs> um, passive yeah yeah yeah, yeah and then it's a bit passive and if you're growing by 10 percent, it's a huge success and on the other hand, you might have like a growth and PE firm saying, okay, you need to grow by 50%, 100%. And this mm. is very exciting. Um, but, um, but they don't really generally care about impact. The mission. Um, yeah, yeah. The, the mission. It, it could be something fancy, you know, some CSR layer uh, to, to, to make it look good. But, uh, but it's not very deep. And I wish there were more people like this. Yeah, it's that impact investing with pace and hustle. Yeah. Exactly. So how can we, you know, build unicorns, but with public benefit corporations and, and you know, B Corps and impactful and mission driven uh, institutions? How can we build that? I think we can. I mean, we're mm. all. And so pretty fast uh, pace changing world that we live in, even before COVID. How do you stay at the leading edge? How do you spot sort of changes? A lot of reading. I have a lot of like press articles I read, newsletters and books, and I keep my finger on the pulse basically. I want to know everything about education, employment, the future of work, tech companies everywhere in the world. So it's, it's actually a lot of information and you can spot weak signals in there and you can see trends and then you can be readier when they actually arrive in your market, I think. Mm. And also, I like to have direct feedback directly with customers, users, students, employees, you know, when you start being a CEO with like a very large team, you can have, you know, feedback only through the chain of command. But I also like to just 
work done, <laughs> the office, or, or just talk to clients and stay in direct touch to the real business. Mm. I really enjoy that, first of all, but I think it's extremely insightful because you you stay relevant, basically. Open classrooms in 10 years' time, what does that look like? <laughs> so in five years' time, we said we want to train, make graduate, and place in the workforce one million students a year. So this is kind of the scale we want to reach in terms of impact. And it means it's a, it's a multi-billion business. In 10 years, I, I think I think we'll be kind of the market leader in, in, in the world on all vertical. And this is what we are trying to, to build. This is what you know I think we build in, in, in Europe, but uh, now we need to keep pushing the boundaries and, and do like more geographies and more, more jobs, more, more fields of study and keep growing and being even more impactful, more, you know, intentional towards the different populations that we think have not access to education, because this is our mission to make access, to make education accessible. So we need to be extremely intentional to help the populations who don't have access. And what about you as an individual in 10 years time, <laughs> apart from CEO of this huge multi-billion dollar global leader, any interest beyond that? Yeah, man, I, I'll be 41, so yeah, I have I mean, gray hair and- given up. <laughs> it's, I'm done, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't, I don't know, like we see, I hope to be up to the challenge and to be able to, you know, upscale along the way to be able to manage such uh, an amazing uh, company in 10 years. And um, yeah, I want to keep doing my outdoorsy activities. And another thing I'm really passionate about is ecology and climate change. And something also, you know, keeps bugging me to, you know, if I had uh, another project around impact, it'd be probably around impact on the environment. And if you were giving advice to the 11-year-old self, what would that be? Uh, close your eyes, because <laughs> it's going to be tough. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'd say keep doing what you do and don't stop basically i insist on that because i think we're like so close to giving up but uh no obviously we don't regret it but um it's it's easy to say now but i'd say yeah i'd say never never give up because this is this is the key to your success and to achieving your dreams few quickfire questions favorite book the fall by albert camus classic of french literature <laughs> okay um, it's in my list I'm gonna do that it's it's um, not very long it's not very long it's okay that's even better it's actually gone up my list now <laughs> yeah yeah exactly most inspiring or inspirational person i'd say most influential is probably john chambers who was the former ceo of cisco okay he's actually one of my mentors um oh, wow. for for a bit of time and uh and this guy is brilliant <laughs> yeah it pushed me and to improve myself and uh i think it's very inspiring the way he he built cisco and made it grow but also the way he manages i think how did you meet him did you reach out to him 
Yeah, actually, I, I met him in a conference in Paris, I think, and I yeah. reached out, started to chat, and I told him I'm in the States next month, like, should we meet? And yeah. then we met, and then from, yeah. you know, that one thing led to another, and I asked him, okay, can we meet regularly? And you can help. Yeah, you, you <laughs> didn't speak him enough for him to say no. If you're smart in the way you approach people, honestly, it yeah. works. Like my experience is people will help and you can ask a lot from people for yeah. like for free yeah. with, with no yeah. interest. And some people sometimes they'll ask me better, but why do they do that for you? Yeah, don't be scared. Reach out for your heroes. And then um, yeah. most important quality for a founder and entrepreneur? Resilience, the ability to learn quickly. So it's connected also to your humility to remain humble because you cannot learn something that you think you're good at. You know already. Uh, yeah. 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 You need to accept that you, you're not really good or you don't know it to be able to learn. And then there is the, the raw capacity to learn fast. I think it's really important. So a massive thank you to Pierre for that conversation. I absolutely love talking to Pierre. You have to remind yourself how much he's achieved and yet he's still only 31. How effectively the business started when they're 11, albeit as a hobby, progressed through a number of business models growing organically and then had a very clear pivot point to when they started to very consciously drive the growth of the business in a different direction. And what's really interesting is that pivot point came from the moment when they basically decided to give up and that in itself released the pressure for them to move forward. We've all been there and I think for me the biggest lesson is that a lot of the pressure that we put ourselves under as founders and entrepreneurs comes from within and actually if you can control that you can go on to great things. I hope you enjoyed listening to that conversation. If you'd like to listen to more inspiring stories you can search Tenzing or The Ascent on any of your usual podcast platforms. We'd love you to rate and review this episode and please don't forget to subscribe so you'll be the first with access to future episodes. You can find out more on tenzing.pe, on Twitter, LinkedIn or on Instagram. I've loved talking to you. Bye for now.